I'm Domina Ava, and this is Domina Ava After Dark. Yeah, that's right. I deliberately planned to open up this podcast with a big, huge, smelly fart. Because today's podcast... Oh, wait, here comes another. Hold on. Oh, not yet. But this podcast is about just that. We're going to start it out talking about fetish, and then we're going to roll that over into humiliation, and then we're going to talk about farts. Yeah, yeah, so I'm so outrageous, I decided to open up this podcast with a big fart, because part of my job is breaking down Societal and social norms and indoctrination, which we have been raised in. That's what I do. It's a big, big, big major component of what I do. And its essence is I provide the emancipation from shame. And provide the liberation from those confines that people have in their minds. Social norms. Because the more free you are internally, the more free you are externally. Uh, you can just be free internally and feel satisfied. Um, yeah, I was gonna start to talk about Viktor Frankl, but hey, let's not go into let's not go into some deep stuff like that <clears throat> just yet. But um, okay, so let's start out by talking about what a fetish is in essence. So, okay, so you might like the sight of your partner in a pair of high heels, right? Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a shoe fetish. A fetish is basically like a sexual excitement in response to an object or body part or a typical sexual situation um, or, ob- or object. Like I said, like shoes or feet, Um And this is, you know, fetishes, I think most people do have a fetish. They're just not aware of it. So it could be something just super innocuous. Like, uh, we'll take one of my fetishes that I personally have that's not, that, you know, is not sort of something that might be deemed as uh, uh, bizarre. So I have a fetish for hands. I like men's hands. Like men's wrists, and I like men's backs. I really do. Like I really appreciate these things. Those are fetishes. Those are things that I see that turn me on. Um, but I, and for me personally, I feel like mm, oftentimes I need to have them in order to. Like they're in my fantasies and uh, and also in my reality, on my personal life. So, um, so which is to say that fetishes must like fetishes, fetishists must have that object of attraction, like at hand or or within range, like in their mind or looking at it. Um, in order to become sexually aroused. Uh, 
So, I don't know, there's some gray zones there, but, um, yeah, in essence, it's, it's, you need these objects in order to get aroused or achieve orgasm. So a person who's a fetishist might masturbate or hold or smell or rub or taste the object or thing that they fetishized uh, in order to get off again. So all of that being said, um, fetishes do change over time. So like we all change over time, right? Um... And so fetishes branch out, like say, like a foot fetish, for instance, this can branch out into having a shoe fetish. Um, let's say that foot is not a foot's not around at the time of uh, arousal, then a shoe um, is good for substitution, which may give way to a shoe fetish. Um, and for many of us, fetishes and fantasies help us challenge the indoctrination that we were raised in. So I kind of give reference to this, you know, a couple minutes ago. So your fantasies, your fantasies, your dreams, your ideas um, that you tell yourself shift in accordance to your perceptions. If you're raised within a very narrow world, um, maybe a religious world, your fantasies might be based within your limited experience. But as your experience widens, your fantasies shift because they grow and expand to encompass the wider point of view that you see now. One of the things that I personally pride myself on as a professional dominatrix is um, exploring and exposing a lot of my clients to new fetishes and kinks um if they're ready for it there's a lot of fetishes that uh correlate with one another um like i just said and shoes or sorry feet to shoes to you know maybe socks or whatever but you know there's there's tons of stuff that may not look obvious that um, relate to one another with regards to fetishes. Um, I've mentioned it in a previous podcast, but things that are not so obvious, like let's say, you know, if you're into maybe splashing, which is um, women um, stepping on or sitting on food objects or smushing food objects into a sub. Uh, oftentimes that branches out into a come eating fetish. Um, or for another example, let's say sissification. Uh, oftentimes that branches out into a whole myriad of different fetishes, including chastity play. Um, and, and we could go on and on, but I don't want to get off too far into the weeds. I want to stay on task. So um, I do like facilis- facilitating the process of expansion into one's mind by way of kink. So yeah, you see, like, essentially, if you understand yourself better, 
you understand the world at large better. So um, I like helping people to understand themselves better, like, you know, and, and, and explore the inner confines of their minds and break down the brainwashing, the indoctrination that was that was disposed on upon you guys. So, so speaking of branching out, now that we've kind of got a little bit of a handle on what a fetish is in its essence, uh, let's talk about humiliation. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says that they're not into humiliation, which I hear, more often than you might surmise, like, I think it's, I, th- I snicker at this. I really snicker at this when I hear somebody say they're not into humiliation because what that typically means to me is that person doesn't understand what humiliation is. Um, because the whole, like, if you zoom out on what a dominatrix and submissive relationship is, it is, in essence, almost all to do with humiliation. There's a fine art um, in which humiliation, just like conversation, just like everything else, must be uh, presented by. So, uh, humiliation, it turns out, and arousal use the exact same pathways in the brain. Let me say that again. Humiliation and sexual arousal use the exact same pathways in the brain. So let's get into the biology of this. So the human brain is set up very conservatively. Like our our brains, uh, the operating manual to our brains is very conservative. And um, the neural pathways, uh, why build a whole new neural pathway to get to a state that's similar to another? So when you are humiliated, your heart rate increases, your blood flow to your extremities increases, your blood pressure goes up, endorphins are released from the neurotransmitters in the brain to the body. You get this high. It's nearly the exact same thing, right? Or it is. So a lot of people, without knowing it, develop a thing for being humiliated as such. I'm going to interrupt this message just for a second here. (laughs) We're going to get into why. (laughs) <laughs> That's so amusing in a in a few minutes. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so where was I? Um I was saying a lot of people without knowing it get into have develop a thing for being humiliated. And because it's a massive turn on what mirrors the state of arousal. So sometimes what happens when a person may not be immediately turned on by humiliation, but afterwards come to recognize that there's a huge endorphin rush, and therefore the idea that that was arousing 
may be like prevalent and you realize it afterwards, maybe not at the moment. Um, so essentially humiliation is a combination of being really, really scared and embarrassed and turned on all at the same time. So I think here, here's a sort of mainstream example of what might not be so obvious, but one that your body can identify with. Um, if, uh, if somebody you know um, gets... We've all known somebody who's gotten addicted to piercings or tattoos are like it's so mainstream now and um you may think or they may think or you may think that it's you know the reason for the addiction may be because of the aesthetic properties of these body alterations but sometimes the big component a big big component of why there's an addiction to like body alterations is because there's a subconscious reasoning like there's there's a subconscious reason because there is pain inflicted on these people um and that's arousing they're scared they're scared and 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 they're feeling pain and just that like the build up of going to go get like a piercing or a tattoo that's arousing and it's seductive in a way. It's exciting. And if you've ever had a tattoo or a piercing, you know what I'm saying is dead on accurate. You get excited before you go get it. You're kind of nervous, looking forward to it. You go in, you get it done, and you endure pain. And you come out and you look at whatever's been altered and you're pretty exciting and pretty aroused. You want to do it again. Um, so, so that's one of like the obvious, like neural pathways that like, like an obvious sort of example of, of how fear and arousal pathways in the brain work on the same neural circuitry. So (laughs) now... Let's talk about fantasies. How do I want to talk about this? Mm, yeah, sure. Why not? For not, why not? This this falls in line with fetishes. Um. <clears throat> sometimes, um, when you have a fetish for something, it can be vastly different than a fantasy and uh because a fantasy is not something you necessarily need to like happen and i find this this sort of split between um a fetish and a fantasy is sometimes more prevalent with females um females operate on a different system, like operating system, like we all know this, right? Like 
we don't use our little heads. Well, most women don't to make decisions. Um, so, I mean, me, for instance, um, there's certain fantasies that I have that have not played out within my life. And I don't know if they'll ever play out. Um, definite, I definitely have a cockled fantasy. Like, that's for fucking sure. But I've never done it. And I can't, I don't anticipate doing it. Like, like I can't guarantee that I'll never do it. But and there's a big difference between fantasies and fetishes. And since we've cleared the air as to what a fetish is, like you actually need that object or that thing or that person or what, whatever it is to become aroused and to come. Um, fantasies in reality don't line up. So <sighs> sometimes the idea of being humiliated is a turn on. But when you're actually humiliated, and afterwards, there like ensues this deep feeling of shame and regret because of the, again, the indoctrination, the cultural standards in which your subconscious has been uh, pri- like privy to, exposed to. Um, and so in order to break free, exposure therapy is often something that I think is, is good. Uh, this, when it comes to humiliation, that is. Um, huh, I think, I think I, this might be a little bit confusing. Let's not get too off in the weeds about that, actually. Um, Because I want to make this very, I want to make my podcast like very easy easy to understand Um, and not overly scientific. I've heard that my podcast can get quite scientific and complicated. And, And so I want the masses, I want all the masses to listen to it and find it easy to listen to. So let's just move ahead. Um, and sort of sum it up by saying this. There's there's a lot of people who have a fantasy for rape. The majority of those people who have a rape fantasy are women, but men do too. Um, And that's a very concrete example of the difference between fantasy and reality. So um, I actually Googled before this podcast. um, I Googled, uh, what did I Google? Um, The percentage of people who have a rape fantasy. I just put that into Google, those words exactly. And the results that were indicated was that 62% of women, and I think that's low, actually. I think it's higher than that. I've read stats that are way higher than that. But 62% of women have had a rape fantasy, which is somewhat higher. No, no, than previous estimates. I don't agree with that. I've, I've read higher stats, actually, on this. But for women who've had rape fantasies, the me- the median frequency of these fantasies was about four times a year, with 14% of participants reporting that they had a rape fantasy at least once a week. Look at that. But that does not fucking mean any of these women want to get raped. Like, 
at all, ever, no, no bueno, no. <laughs> Huge difference between fantasy and reality. So, so you know, some of you may fantasize about being humiliated. <laughs> Back to what I said before. But uh, when it actually comes time to be humiliated, uh, you may not do so well. Who knows? Who knows? But um, you may like it afterwards. Um, For me, obviously, there's no button to push with regards to humiliation. There's very few. Like if you were to come at me and say... um, you're a stinky bitch. I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I just farted. Um, yeah, there's no real button to to push <sighs> because I've worked very hard at liberating myself from shame. And although I'll never rid myself of shame. There's not a lot of shame buttons to press. So hence the reason why I like working with people around shame and humiliation. And why I started this podcast off farting. (laughs) Because I feel pretty goddamn good. I feel pretty free. And there's something super seductive and wildly erotic about a woman who feels so fucking goddamn good about herself that she's willing to do things that society has deemed gross and feel good about it. That's freedom, folks. That is freedom. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get into <laughs> the fart fetish. I've wrote some notes about it. So the fart fetish is uh, known as eproctophilia. Hmm? Eproctophilia. And for maybe a small number of individuals, farting isn't just a taboo. It's a product of... It's the primary focus of their sex lives. (laughs) Um, so proctophilia involves being sexually aroused, obviously, by anal flatulence and is the cause of many other fetishes. Sexual arousals can arise from different situations for different members of a proctophilia community. Um, so when farting, uh-huh with or on or within a scene or somebody with their sexual partner or what, what have you. Um, some individuals are their horniest. <laughs> well, others are turned on by the act of being farted upon. So again, this is the difference between fetish or fantasy and reality, right? Back to that, right? Here's, here's kind of the difference. So many of us have had access, you know, we have access to the five senses. Um, 
Um, all of which I'd say are potentially engaged by a hearty, sour, loud rip. <laughs> Most proctophilia members in, in the proctophilia community agree. One thing though, their fetish is not the same as what is it's called like uh coprophilia? Uh, co coprophilia, right, coprophilia, right, 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 right. Um, which is the which is scat, which is being turned on my poop. So there's there is a separation there. Um, excuse me for one second here. <laughs> Farts are funny. Oh, they're funny. There's something about a, like, again, about a hot woman who just really doesn't give a shit about what you think. I don't care whether you accept me or not. I accept myself. Again, it takes a high degree of confidence. Fucking just rip on somebody. Oh, it's so fun. Anyway, um, fart fetishes, you know, um, like I've said in previous podcasts, like, like most fetishes, they're developed in early years. Um, you know, in pre-adolescence oftentimes, you know, and, uh, you may be at camp with friends or, you know, a Dutch oven or in a car with your, with your parents on a road trip or your siblings and someone farts and, and um, everybody finds it funny, but maybe there's something in there that, like, and this stems back to what I was saying earlier about humiliation and arousal, you know, um, there's an aspect of humiliation involved and an aspect of arousal involved within the fart fetish. So, like, people who are really into this, um, there's also, like, another scientific name for it, and it's called osmolagnia. <laughs> so, osmolagnia or um, proctophilia. Those are the more scientific terms for fart fetishes. Um, people are really into it. There's two camps. Uh, but generally speaking, before I divvy up the two camps, the more disgusting, the more it heightens the sense of duality. The more disgusting, the far and the prettier the lady, the more schism between societal expectation and reality. So... As for men, it's simply more <clears throat> dominating for it to be really gross, fart. Um, so when a woman's doing it, it's like even more powerful and dominating um, to the man. <laughs> so there's two camps. There's, um, a there's a type of sub who's into proctophilia who... Loves the smell of gas. Loves it. You know, um, I've had some subs who uh, all farts. <laughs> and they request it, obviously, in session. But, um, and uh, we'll just be talking and I'll be like, I'm ready. And they'll come and run up and stick their face near my butt. 
<laughs> and then there's some I have to, who hate it. And like, I have to tie them down and gas them out and laugh at them suffering. Um, and you know, I'm going to tell you something. This fetish is not nearly as naughty as it seems. So, um, again, you know, I mentioned that, you know, the fetishes start at a young age for every, for most people. Um, but there's actually something natural about it. It's a human function. It's a human function. Like, that's what it is. Um, animals aren't grossed out when other animals fart. Not at all. We're the only species on earth, the only fucking species on earth that attaches shame to this bodily function. The only one. And we're not superior to other species. We're not. <laughs> we just happen to have the biggest brains, or so we think. Maybe dolphins are smarter than us when it comes to emotions, but whatever the case may be, we decided that it's shameful. We decided. And maybe it's not always shameful. Maybe it's just shameful if you're at a nice dinner, but maybe if you're alone with your spouse. I don't know. Give it a try. <laughs> it's definitely dominating. Like, it, for me, it's a definite way to dominate. And I've had a lot of duo sessions with um, incredible mistresses who just let a ripper go because they want to, not even because it's requested. And there's something so fucking cool about that. It's like just so cool. Like, like they just don't care. Like it, it's just, I have to fart. I'm going to fart on your face. Um, I think that's cool. Anyway. <clears throat> well, where? Let's give five reasons as to why farts are sexually appealing. Let's do that. Um, for one, exposure of farting in a heightened environment. Experts believe, here's some notes I wrote, obviously, that proctophilia tends to develop when someone is exposed to farting in a heightened environment. Um, so... And then this um, case of this man and his fart fetish began when he was 16. Um, they give an example. His name, his supposed name is Brad. And so I wrote some notes down. Uh, this is not one of my clients. This is just some of my research. And he had a crush on a girl who farted at school in science class. This appeared, uh, this appeared laid, and that's not written well. This uh, had laid that foundation for Brad's attraction to flatulence, sexual preference that grew over time. Any environment or situation that exacerbates the act of passing gas could give rise to farting as a sexual preference. Uh, I should have read that over before I sort of read, before I noted it and read it back to you guys. But whatever the case may be, let's just continue on with five reasons why farting, um, farting can be sexually appealing. So the second reason is intimacy. Um, so like other sexual fetishes, intimacy is a primary attraction. And so in this other case study, this supposed name, John, who's into proctophilia, said that 
at its very core in on a most realistic sense. Proctophilia is about intimacy. According to this man, the fact that farting in someone's face, rather unusual, considered dirty and less traditional, makes it far more intimate than sex. This is what this man says. Considering that it's not a standard sexual desire, it's not accepted even in public, makes farting an emotional, psychological, and sexual turn-on. John says society does not allow you to fart in front of others. So if a girl shares her fart with you, it's very intimate and it shows she completely trusts you and does not feel embarrassed or ashamed to be around you. What? Uh, could there be a better turn on? Uh, that's cute. That's cute. So three, and I gave reference to this already. Uh, in essence, yeah, it's about dominance and humiliation. So... um Dominance and humiliation are very well-known forms of sexual expression that have been around for a long time before what most people in the community of BDSM despise um, as a movie, Fifty Shades of Grey. So um, in order for domination and humiliation to take place, there must be trust between partners or within a domination submission setting, right? And the same goes for farting. Um, proctophilia sees this as act as a safe way to build dominance. So uh, then it gives some other case studies. Also, there's an essence of vulnerability because we don't go around farting in front of our crush or on a first date. It's just not because of bad manners. It's also because it's intimate and has a high degree of vulnerability. So, um... You know, the usual, like, we usually wait until we're comfortable with someone before we know we're not going to be judged. But that doesn't even, uh, I don't know, that falls flat on its face. Um, there's definitely an essence of vulnerability. Unless you don't really care about being judged. <laughs> Which is, in my case, the case. Uh, and then the fifth reason why it's kind of sexual is it's novelty. God damn it, it is. It's a fucking novelty. Oh, God. I ate way too much raisin bran. Anyway. So, in closing, like, even though society stigmatizes, like, aproctophilia, stigmatizes what I do, like, let's zoom right out. You know, stigmatizes, you know, a lot of fetish. Um... And fetishes um, and sees things like in a negative light under the umbrella of BDSM. Um, I would like, even if a fetish is like not your cup of tea um, and you don't want to indulge in it, it may make somebody else happy. And, um, and looking at it from the outside, you know, I want to ask just everybody, like, who are you to judge? Like, who are you to judge? Every single person listening to this podcast is imperfectly perfect. That sounds so cheese ass. I know. But we're all flawed. We're all flawed. And that's what makes us perfect. 
None of us is perfect. We're all pathetic pieces of garbage in our own way. We have to try every day to be a fucking good person. Or as good as you can be. Um, so, you know, I, I would like, as time goes by, um, for, you know, fetishes, including proctophilia, <laughs> including, like, everything, foot, shoe, like, I've heard of many, many people being ashamed of their foot fetish. Like, who cares? Who cares? I mean, you can bring it up when it's, like, appropriate, but, like, also, maybe not a big deal, okay? And and it's, and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of men who have told me over the years, well, not hundreds and hundreds, but... I've talked, yeah, maybe, but there's a small percentage of those who open up to me and tell me that their um, their marriage has been on the line because of their fetish in the past, and that when they exposed their fetish to their wife, they were absolutely like floored or or, or bewildered or amazed how well their fetish was received because the secret was out there. It's really important we maintain honesty. Really important. Because without honesty and without vulnerability, there's no connection. And I'm going to leave that right the fuck there. Aside from just saying that I would really like in the future for these fetishes to stop being pathologized and more accepted okay thanks for joining me and we went off onto some tangents i hope this all made sense i feel pretty proud about this podcast i hope you enjoyed and i'll see you next week for another episode of domina ava after dark follow me on everything social they're dominant. Ava. Savage! <laughs> okay, bye.